Welcome to the Regulators Podcast. I am your host, Walter Walden. Thank you for joining us, as always. We start this week's show with a little bit of somber news. Um, Trez Paler was a Yahoo Sports NFL podcast uh, host, co-host. He was a Pro Football Hall of Fame voter and uh, covered the Kansas City Chiefs for many years, but a lot of people in the industry know him. You guys, if you follow our podcast and follow us online, we have talked about the great work that Therese and Charles Robinson have done over on their podcast uh, at Yahoo for pretty much a year now uh, since we've been turned on to it by someone special to us. And it is just almost unfathomable to me that at 37 years old, the world is now without Therese Paler. If you are not familiar with his work, if you don't know who he is, I implore you to Google search him. Um, I think you should listen to the podcasts that him and Charles Robinson have put together. Um, and he was well respected and he just, he didn't take cheap shots, um, but he also didn't back down. You know, he, um, he didn't need hyperbole to get his points across, but at the same time, he would tell you the truth you know exactly how he saw it and I think there's very few journalists out there who in today's society are getting their points across and some that might be semi-controversial or might not go with the masses of what the crowd agrees with but at the same time does so in a way that is not just doing so for the take of being contradictory um it is a sad day for anybody who knew him or knew of his work, and I am sad that the NFL lost yet another uh, great man. Um, so, you know, my condolences, obviously, to his friends and his family. I never met him in person, but I was a huge fan of his work and everything that he did. So rest in peace to Therese Paler. Now on another note, trying to get back into some positive stuff and talking about football this week, we had the Super Bowl. Now, if you listen to our podcast, then you know we said take the bucks plus the three points. And you know that we weren't just basing this on some gut information that we had that, you know, we were on a hunch. I mean, this literally we wrote an article telling you guys that uh, half of the last 20 Super Bowl champions had a top three defense and 15 out of 20 had a top 10 defense, which is now 16 out of 21. And in the last 20 years, the Super Bowl champions have all averaged a better defense than they did uh, an offensive rank. So our money was on the better defense this game. And fortunately for us and for the Buccaneers, it proved to be the case. So, you know, if you had money on the bucks if someone gave you the points someone actually gave me plus four for the bucks and i jumped all over that so i was happy to take that as well um you know it was a a great super bowl i know a lot of people are nitpicking because it was really hyped up right we expected brady versus mahomes everybody wanted to see the over get busted by a million they wanted to see you know a 40 to 43 shootout and unfortunately that's just not how it worked out 
Um, but the team with the better defense obviously prevailed. I don't think there's much argument that Patrick Mahomes was the better quarterback that was on that field. Maybe not on Super Bowl Sunday, but overall, Patrick Mahomes is a much more able quarterback than Tom Brady is right now. And that's not to throw shade at Tom Brady, who had a great year. We've talked about everything that he's done this season. But Mahomes, if, if I had to put a gun to your head and tell you, okay, you get one quarterback to add to your team right now, Mahomes or Brady, nobody's thinking twice. Everybody's taking Mahomes. But it just goes to show to something that we beat like a dead horse all the time. It takes more than a quarterback, which is exactly why Deshaun Watson wants out of Houston for many reasons, but including the fact that they took away his best weapon. They don't surround him with talent. It takes more than one guy. There's a reason why you know, Joe Burrow being added to the Cincinnati Bengals doesn't all of a sudden make them a Super Bowl contender. It gets them on the right track. Now they have to do the right things and put the pieces around him, but that's up to the organization and we'll have to see how everything goes there. But, you know, when you look at it, Todd Bowles was in his bag the entire game and there were so many times where he only rushed four. You didn't know who was coming, but he ended up sending four and yet, the Kansas City offensive line had no match. Now, to be fair to Kansas City, they did have a lot of injuries on that line, and they had somewhat of a patchwork of offensive linemen trying to keep up against that Todd Bowles defense, but it's the NFL. You know, every team deals with injuries, some more than others, but, you know, you still got to get up and do your job. You know, hate to use that euphemism, but as overplayed as it is, it's it's accurate. Um, I saw a lot of people saying that, oh, you know, I can't believe Brady's going to get credit for a seventh ring when he didn't do anything. You know, it was all about the defense or the lack of the Chiefs offense. Well, first of all, take your hater hat off for a second. And let's talk about Tom Brady, who was 21 of 29 for three touchdowns and no interceptions. Did he throw for 400 yards? No. But there's games where quarterbacks, including himself, have thrown for four to 500 yards in a loss. So 21 of 29 and three touchdowns and no picks is not a bad stat line. Yes, he didn't put the team on his fucking back, but you know what? Neither did Mahomes. So the fact that, you know, Brady is, quote, you know, receiving too much credit I mean, I, I, I think is an extreme position to take. Now, I will say, Leonard Fournette had 135 all-purpose yards in the game, and I think you could have easily made the argument that he could have been Super Bowl MVP. Um, Devin White was all over the field. So I get that there was a lot of factors that went into the win, but that's that's what team sports is. That's what football is. And this idea that we still think that wins and losses is a QB stat just blows my mind that w- that we still act this way because it's not. And this is why, I mean, credit to Patrick Mahomes who, you know, did everything in his life to evade six guys before throwing up passes that while incomplete, he gave his wide receivers a shot a lot of times. And a lot of people are saying, you know, his wide receivers let him down You know what? His wide receivers did have a 10.9% drop rate during the Super Bowl, but Tom Brady's had a 10.3%. So 
we notice them more because of their impact to the game. So when it's third and nine and the Chiefs are down or when it's fourth down and the Chiefs are trying to mount a comeback and a pass gets dropped in those pivotal moments, we notice it more and it carries more weight. But in reality, that doesn't mean that they were dropping passes at a higher rate than uh, the Buccaneers, which they were, but not by much. Like I said, 10.9% to 10.3%. So it's not like leaps and bounds, oh my God, they couldn't catch anything. The issue was that Patrick Mahomes was under pressure 35.7%, which is more than double the rate that Tom Brady was under pressure. Clyde Edwards Hilaire, 2.1 yards per carry. That's that's not going to get it done. And so, of course, you have to give credit to the Buccaneers' front seven. You have to give credit to Todd Bowles and everything that they had schemed up against Mahomes. Um, but, you know, it was a team effort. The entire team played well on Tampa's side of the ball, and they got the W. And now Tom Brady has more rings than any NFL franchise. So, you know, at this point... I know, I get it, I understand the whole cheating scandals, which, first of all, if we're going to talk about cheating scandals, let's only talk about the ones that matter, okay? When the Patriots were caught filming other teams' walkthroughs and other teams' sidelines and stuff like that, that stuff matters. That's, that's just, okay, I get it. But if we're still talking about Tom Brady wanted less air in the football, and that gave him an advantage. Like, if you're crying about that shit, then I don't know what to tell you. Like, but all things considered, even if you took two or three rings away from him and said they were tainted, he's still got more than damn near everybody else. So let's just let's just stop being a hater. Let's just be objective for a second. You You don't have to like the guy, but fuck, man. If you don't respect him, then I... I don't know what to tell you. At least re- respect in regards to his accomplishments on the field. But let's move on from that. Both teams possessed the football 11 times. So each team had the opportunity 11 times to try to get points. Kansas City was in Tampa Bay's territory six times, and they got three field goals out of it. So that's obviously not going to get it done, um, especially in a Super Bowl, especially against as we reminded you guys in our Super Bowl preview show, against an offense that scored more points than the Kansas City Chiefs. Everybody said that nobody could touch the Chiefs, yet the Kansas City Chiefs weren't even a top three offense in the NFL. So, you know, as much as credit where credit's due and, and they had a great offense and they had a great team and everything like that, there were guys putting up more points than they were. And so when you match that with having a good defense, I, I think that uh, NFL teams should be paying really close attention because it was amazing to me to see beat writers around the NFL the Monday after the Super Bowl sit there and say, well, this just goes to show you need that elite quarterback and go ahead and trade five number ones for Deshaun Watson. Like, really? That's what you saw? Were we watching the same Super Bowl? Patrick Mahomes, make no mistake, is a top three quarterback. If you don't want to give him the credit for being the most elite quarterback in the NFL right now, he's at least top three. So they had an elite quarterback. Are you telling me that, what, because the Buccaneers had 
Brady, and that's why you needed it. It just makes no sense. What it showed me was the same cliches that are always talked about, all three phases of football, special teams, offense, defense. It all matters. You know, you look at even Kansas City's punter, you know, kicking the ball out of bounds on what equated to like a 30-yard punt. You look at some of the mistakes they made on special teams, like all of that stuff adds up, all of it. So hats off to the Kansas City Chiefs. I I know that they're going to be back. Mahomes is going to win multiple Super Bowls. I think that Brady and the Buccaneers could be back next year as well. I think that Tom is just finding his groove with that team, so we'll have to see. But I hope you guys enjoyed the Super Bowl. We had a lot of fun online talking to you guys during the halftime shows and uh, the weekend and the performance and obviously the game and everything else like that. So it's it's been a lot of fun for us. But with the Super Bowl done, let's talk about something else that happened in the past week, and that is the NFL Honors Show. So personally, I want the name of the bastard that voted for Big Ben as Comeback Player of the Year. Of all the votes, they all went to Alex Smith, as they should have, except for one fucking vote. One guy said, listen, I know this guy was in a hospital, he almost died, almost lost his leg, and somehow he not only lived, not only kept his leg, but made it back to a football team played starting quarterback for an NFL team, led his team to division champs, and yes, it's a weak division, I get that, but the fact, the second that that guy threw an NFL pass, he was comeback player of the year. That's it. It's over. And you want to vote for Ben Roethlisberger? Really? Which one of those guys came back from a more difficult moment? I just, I, I, I don't understand that. But obviously, Alex Smith won the award, and they should just rename the award the Alex Smith Award. Um, he should be honorary lifetime comeback player of forever uh, because that was an incredible comeback. And if you haven't seen the documentary, go watch the documentary that was made on his comeback because it's it's a tremendous story, and it just goes to show, you know, with enough motivation and um, hard work, you know, what obviously is, is capable. So hats off to Alex Smith on winning that award. Now, I know that there was a lot of discussion around defensive player of the year, right? You had Aaron Donald, TJ Watt, and Xavier Howard in the running to kind of secure that award. Now, originally, I thought that this was a hands-down TJ Watt award. I thought all season, when I looked at the numbers, when I studied and I, and I watched on tape, it just looked like T.J. Watt was going to walk away with this. However, much like the Pro Bowl, we know that there's some level of popularity that goes into these things. And so when Aaron Donald won the award, um, a lot of people were upset, and you know, including J.J. Watt, who obviously went to bat for his brother and just proved how on every single category... Uh, T.J. Watt dominated, and he's right. He's not wrong, which is why I had originally um, thought that T.J. Watt would win it. But I went back and did some more studying because 
if anything, I always like to be open to new information and new possibilities, and especially when I have something that feels so counterintuitive or contradictory to what the general consensus is. But regardless, I went back and, and looked, and here's the thing. Here's, here's what people miss out on with Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald, when I went back and looked at all the plays throughout the season, Aaron Donald gets the highest double team rate of damn near anybody. He gets doubled more than any other player in football, and his win rate still is significantly better than almost anybody else. So he's beating double teams, whereas TJ Watt, when I went back and looked at his snaps, his double team rate is in the bottom 50% of the NFL. So he's not even in the top 10% of guys getting doubled at the line of scrimmage. So, yes, when you look at it just on stats alone, T.J. Watt had the better year. But if you go back and you see how Aaron Donald doesn't have a play where he's one-on-one on somebody. Like, that's just, just a nightmare scenario, and it's over before the snap happens. Aaron Donald is doubled more than any player in football, and that's why, even though his stats are not the same as T.J. Watt, even though he doesn't surpass T.J. Watt, you have to understand that that doesn't mean that T.J. Watt's the better player. And don't get me wrong, T.J. Watt is a beast. He is an animal. And so is Chase Young, and so is a lot of these guys. But this is not to discredit anybody. But this is to say that when you go back and you study it, and you see how teams scheme against Aaron Donald, where even sometimes it's not even just a double team. Somebody's coming across to chip him. So, like, it is ridiculous the amount of manpower and the amount of scheming that you have to do against Aaron Donald. As you do against TJ Watt and these other guys, sure, you have to come up with things to plan for them. But Aaron Donald is dealing with the same way that we just talked about Alex Smith, who overcame more. Aaron Donald has to overcome more to get to the quarterback. And remember, he's an interior lineman. Most of these guys that are the sack leaders, they're edge rushers. Because they're coming off the edge, they have a better opportunity one-on-one to get to the quarterback. Defensive linemen that are on the interior do not generally lead these quarterbacks or have the kind of stats or the kind of production that an Aaron Donald does. So you have to look at things objectively. So when I looked at that, I said, okay, in that scenario, I'd give it to Aaron Donald over TJ Watt. But that brings us to the next finalist, which is Xavier Howard. Now in 2019... Last year, um, Stefan Gilmore won the Defensive Player of the Year. He had six interceptions, which he wasn't the only one with six interceptions. He had 20 passes defended on 101 attempts. This year, Xavier Howard of the Miami Dolphins had 10 interceptions, 20 passes defended on 101 attempts. So they both had the exact same amount of attempts, Both had the exact same number of passes defended, 
But Xavier Howard had four more interceptions this year, which was the first time someone had double-digit interceptions in quite a while. So the only real difference is that in 2019, Stephon Gilmore allowed zero touchdowns. He didn't allow any. Xavier Howard allowed four touchdowns this year. So that's a big difference to being able to say you shut someone out, no one scored a single touchdown on you. But if you're going to give that credit, you also have to say, okay, well, Xavier Howard took four more interceptions away, so that's a possession flip as well right there. So I can at least see the argument there where you could put X right up there against number 99. And from that point, it's just, okay, what's the more impressive feat when compared to others at that position? For me personally, I'm obviously a little biased because I am a Miami Dolphin fan and what Xavier Howard was able to do this year um, I think was just top notch and obviously I would possibly slide it a little bit to X, but I'm aware of my bias, right? But I'm also aware of the fact that you could make an argument for either one of those guys. I mean, you can make an argument for all three, right? All three of these guys were finalists for a reason. Um but I don't think it's as slam dunk as saying, oh no, TJ Watt got robbed, absolutely. Like, all three of these guys could have been it. If I had to give an order, I would probably go X, Aaron Donald, and then TJ Watt. But again, I can see the argument for everybody. Now, Offensive Player of the Year went to King Derrick Henry, which was well-deserved. And he helped me secure a fantasy championship this year, so... Thank you, Derrick Henry. Um, he was a beast. You knew he was coming, and nine times out of ten, you still couldn't stop him. There was nothing you could do. Um, it's going to be a while, I think, before we see a player like that again. Most of the running backs in the NFL have evolved into the pass-catching backs and the shifty guys that are great in space, the Alvin Kamars, the Dalvin Cooks. You know, they can do it all. Derrick Henry is just going to run downfield and run you the fuck over. That is what he is going to do. And he was obviously in the 2K club this year, which if that's not offensive player of the year, I don't know what is. Um, but let's talk about our rookies of the year. So defensive rookie of the year, Chase Young, I think well-deserved. I'm really excited to see how he jumps up to that next level and compares with some of the guys we just talked about as Defensive Player of the Year finalist. I think Chase Young is everything he was built up to be as far as the hype coming into the draft, not only as a player, but as a leader, as a character person on the team. I think that he is an amazing asset and they're very, very lucky to have him and Hopefully they build around him and that amazing front seven that they have there in Washington. And then you have Offensive Rookie of the Year, which was a little puzzling to me. So that went to Justin Herbert, right? And hats off to the kid who played his ass off this year. As a rookie, he threw for 31 touchdowns, uh, 10 interceptions, and again, he's a rookie. I set my bar much lower for rookie quarterbacks than I do for a rookie position at any other uh, place in the field because being an NFL quarterback is a huge, huge transition and it's a um, monumental achievement to declare yourself as a franchise guy. So 
I think Justin Herbert played well, especially for being a rookie. However, I think there were other rookies out there that could have easily surpassed him for Offensive Rookie of the Year. So let's look at the numbers, right? Justin Herbert was ranked 15th in completion percentage among his peers. He was ranked 14th in touchdown percentage. He was ranked 5th in yards per game. So that was his really kind of claim to fame, right? Was that he was going to hit 300 yards per game damn near every game. And he was in the top 5 at yards per game. But as far as accuracy, as far as touchdown percentage, middle of the pack, right? So when we look at some other guys, like for example, Jonathan Taylor with the Colts. So we talked about in the offseason how much the Colts needed to pay attention to their run game and really needed to get something going. Well, they drafted Jonathan Taylor, who amassed 1,468 all-purpose yards, and his five yards per carry was good for seventh in the NFL. And his 92.3% catch rate was first in the NFL among all pass catchers, wide receivers, backs, anybody who caught the ball, 92.3%. He was number one, and again, his five yards per carry was good for seventh in the NFL. 1,500 all-purpose yards as a rookie is pretty damn good. So you could easily make a case that Jonathan Taylor could have been Offensive Rookie of the Year, as well as my guy that would have had my vote, which is Justin Jefferson. The trade that ended up sending Stefan Diggs to the Bills is truly one of those trades that somehow ends up the best of both worlds for both teams. Obviously, the Bills got Stefan Diggs, which we've seen what that did to Josh Allen's game this year and how well he's played and is going to be a huge part of that offense moving forward. And then Justin Jefferson, who has kind of replaced Stefan Diggs with the Vikings, who, you know, didn't do much in his rookie year except go for 1,400 yards and seven touchdowns. His 1,400 yards were the fourth most in the NFL. Not fourth most among rookies. The fourth most in the NFL. He was chasing the guys at the top the entire season. So I think, for me, when you're comparing all the rookies of the year, you have to look at how they did compared to their counterparts that are in the league at the same position. So my issue with Justin Herbert is it seemed like that was more of a competition between Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, who had his season ended early, so we don't know what he would have done, Tua Tungavailoa, who came in and didn't do anything spectacular. And so, okay, he threw for more yards than... Tua, so we're going to give him the award. He also threw more interceptions than Tua, but he also threw more touchdowns. So I'm not trying to say that Tua outplayed uh, Justin Herbert because that's not the case. Justin Herbert played really well. But did he play well as compared to his contemporaries? Did he play well compared to the Josh Allens, the Patrick Mahomes, the Aaron Rodgers, the Tom Brady, the Drew Brees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you could say, well, come on, those guys have been in the league for a while. You're right. They have been in the league for a while, which is why I don't expect Justin Herbert to have those numbers. But if you're telling me that we're only comparing him to other rookies, 
Well, why is that not the case at the other positions? Why did Jonathan Taylor of the Colts have the seventh best average for every running back in the NFL and the highest catch rate of any pass catcher in the NFL? Why did Justin Jefferson have the fourth most receiving yards in the NFL? We're not only comparing them to rookies. I mean, you look at the rookie class of wide receivers alone that came out. Brandon Ayuk, Chenault, Higgins, Ruggs, Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, bitch. And yet, Justin Jefferson smoked them all. So why don't we hold that same level of accountability to the quarterback position where we seem to want to give sometimes more or less credit than is really due one way or the other? Um, I know everyone loves to hang their hopes and dreams and angers and frustrations on the quarterback position, and it's one of the most important positions on the field. I get that. But we have to make sure sometimes that we don't over-glorify certain situations. Um, and I think that, honestly, Justin Herbert is going to be an amazing quarterback in this league. And I think the Chargers hit a home run with him. But do I think he deserved Offensive Rookie of the Year over Justin Jefferson? I do not. But that's my two cents on the matter. So as we look towards the offseason, you know, this year... I want to give a little bit of life advice. So to everybody out there who's listening, everybody who's out there in the Twitter streets with us, I need you guys to get some thicker skin, right? So I was lambasted earlier last week by a bunch of Saints faithful because I suggested that the Saints might be in salary cap trouble. Now, I wrote an article about this. I've been studying this all season. I have spreadsheets dedicated to it. And, you know, I finally put this article out. I dropped it on Twitter so some people could see kind of where the Saints are sitting at over $100 million projected over the cap um, and what pieces they could move and what they would have left with dead cap money and stuff like that. And here come some of the butthurt Saints fans out, out of the woodwork who all of a sudden are saying, bro, you're embarrassing yourself. You just don't get it. You don't understand how this works. Like, And then they started tagging uh, local New Orleans beat writers, and they got involved, and it just became really stupid really quick. really quick. So first of all, here's the thing. I love the New Orleans Saints. I think that Sean Payton is a genius coach, And I've always loved Drew Brees, was disappointed when he didn't come to Miami and he chose uh, New Orleans. And what football means to that city and after Hurricane Katrina and Steve Gleason and all of that, like, I love the Saints. But you guys need to thicken your skin up because the fact that nobody can ever suggest that something's wrong about your organization unless it's you unless you're the one venting after a loss, is just absurd. I mean, you look at the Houston Texans organization. They are about to have to potentially give up one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL because their organization was run so shittily for the past few years that their quarterback wants out. He's had enough, and he's not the only one. I mean, we actually just saw news coming across the ticker today 
as I was getting ready to uh, to prep for this show that Jamie Roots has stepped down as the Texans team president after 20 years with the Houston Texans. And, you know, there's been other recent turnover, uh, which includes obviously Bill O'Brien, the GM and head coach, their VP of communication, Amy Palchik, was, uh, you know, released, I believe, and then their director of football administration and others have recently left. So there's a lot of people jumping ship in Houston, and it's because the organization hasn't been run right for a while now. So does that mean I root for the Texans to fail? Does that mean that I'm just running my mouth talking shit about Houston? No. Houston deserves a winner, as does the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Cleveland Browns. All the fans out there who are loyal to these teams and spend their hard-earned money on tickets, on merchandise, on everything. But you have to be able to look at things objectively and see where things you know, need to be fixed. And that's, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of everything. So if you guys can't take uh, the commentary on when your team has a bad defense or is mismanaging the cap or the front office can't identify draft pick talent, then I don't know what to tell you. This ain't the podcast for you, and I would probably stay off the Internet because you're not going to like what you see. Um, but other than that, I assure you that we are not here to bash any of the 32 teams. You will see a slight bit of our bias come out here and there, and I will admit to those moments like I did with X, because I was raised a Dolphin fan and I love the Dolphins. But you know what? I was happy to see Tom Brady win his seventh ring. I put money down on the Bucks plus three, and again on plus four. So this idea that just everything's got to be sunshine and rainbows, and life's not like that. And it doesn't work like that. So take everything, you know, down a notch. And let's just try to have a great time on Twitter. And, you know, if you're going to come in talking that nonsense, we're just, we're not going to have it. And we'll just mute you and move the fuck on. But grow the fuck up. I don't do hot takes. I don't do hyperbole, which you're welcome for, by the way. Because you know how many shows continue to come out with you know, Blake Bortles will be a top five quarterback next year and all kinds of ridiculous hot takes just to get you to engage, just to get you to retweet and comment and share it with people saying, this guy's a fucking moron. But you don't understand those people don't care because they're getting the clicks, which means they get the ratings, which means they sell the ads. I don't do that shit here. I give you an opinion. So when I give you my opinion, it's something that's well-researched and something that's thought out. If you can't handle the fact that, you know, me saying being $112 million over the cap is not a good situation as compared to being 30 or 70 mil under the cap, and one of those would allow you to do different things with your team and have options available to you, then I really can't help you. Bury your head in the sand and wait for life to pass you by. But I'm not going to keep beating that. That's. It is what it is. Just wanted to give some life advice out there for you guys. So we are going to spend this offseason talking about a wide margin of issues across the NFL. So buckle up, baby Jesus, because it's about to get bumpy. Before we get into all that on the next episode, I wanted to talk about something that 
really kind of grinds my gears. So even when the game starts, right, you always see at the coin toss, team has to select whether to receive the first half kickoff or if they want to defer to the second half. Now, a lot of teams opt to defer to the second half. I have no problem with that. If you think, hey, you know, when we come out of the locker room at halftime, we're either going to be up in the game and we're going to have the ball, which is great because we have a lead and we have the ball. Or we'll be down, but we'll have the ball, so we're going to get a chance right out of the gate. That's fine. Say that. I have no fucking problem with it. Here's where I have a problem. Announcers continue to say that, well, you see, he likes to defer because that way he can double up on points going into the half. So you score right before the halftime, and then you get the ball right back in the third quarter. It's like you get to score twice. No the fuck you don't. That's not how any of this works. And let me explain to you why. If you can score in the last four minutes of the second quarter, then you should be able to score in the first four minutes of the first quarter. It makes no fucking sense. You can't sit there and tell me that because I got the ball first in the first quarter, I'm not going to have the opportunity to score at the beginning of the third quarter. And why does one score become more valuable than the other? So let's say hypothetically, I take the kickoff and I score on my first opening drive. Great. Sounds good. Now, I score again in the last two minutes of the half. I've scored twice, but I don't get the ball back in the third quarter. Now, what's the difference between if I didn't receive the kickoff and I was getting the ball in the third quarter and I scored on the first drive of the third quarter? Now, if you want to say, well, we have analytics that show that once our team is warmed up, you know, they kind of have more propensity to score or we score more on drives later in the game than we do on our first drive. We don't really score a lot on our first drive, which is why we defer. That's fine. You can say that, and an analyst can say that too. But this idea that you get to double up on fucking points is stupid. It's, it's, it's not mathematically sound. It's, it's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. And if you want to play clock games, which most coaches do, you're going to play them anyway. So even if I got the first kickoff in the first quarter, whether I score or don't score doesn't matter. Here's what matters. There's two and a half minutes left on the clock. The other team has the ball, and they're running the ball in their own territory, and it doesn't look like they're going to score. Guess what? I might call a timeout before the two-minute warning because I want to still have some time left to go back down the field and score. And that doesn't matter whether or not I'm getting the third quarter kickoff or not. It doesn't matter. It's not like if I don't have that third quarter kickoff if I receive the ball first then all of a sudden I'm gonna say yeah you know what I'm not gonna play this clock management game however it ends it ends and then the other team can have the ball back like stop it this idea that you're doubling 
fucking up on points is fucking ridiculous and it has to stop. Please help me spread this important information. This has been a public service announcement. Thank you. Speaking of public service announcements, did I just say announcements? Announcements. You know what I meant, though. For the love of God, can we please bring back the eye in the sky, NFL? Can we do that? The XFL has showed us that it works, which I can't wait for the XFL to come back in 2022. I'm so glad The Rock bought them, and it's it's going to be exciting, and we'll, we'll definitely get into some coverage of that stuff. But um, eye in the sky works. Please put it back. I'm sick of us talking about refereeing during the games, after the games. Put the eye in the sky back. They can stop the game if they have to, and they can get the right call. That's it. End it. Don't make the game about the referees. Take it away. Anyways, we wanted to uh, talk about the uh, recent news with the Texans organization. I already kind of covered that. But, um, you know, I, I really don't know what's going on over there in Houston. When you look at the amount of people who have either been terminated or who have stepped down or... You know, now with Deshaun Watson's situation, it's just like I, I almost feel bad a little bit for Nick Casario and, um, you know, the incoming team that's going to be taking over in Houston. I think that they are walking into a minefield and it's going to be tough to kind of turn that around. So I feel for Texans fans. I feel for a lot of the players in Houston. I think that we're going to get a lot more information as this offseason goes on and over the next couple years of just how dysfunctional and and what is happening behind closed doors over there. Um, But we'll see how that goes. And, you know, one thing that also came across the ticker here as we were show prepping is that according to Ian Rappaport, Ravens offensive tackle Orlando Brown wants to be traded. So he says he wants to go to a team, again, this is per Ian Rappaport, that will play him at left tackle. He had filled in for Ronnie Stanley this year um, after an injury, and, you know, he played extremely well, and now he has decided that he wants to play left tackle only. Now, for those of you who may not be aware, a left tackle uh, is a premium in the NFL because most quarterbacks are right-handed quarterbacks. So because the left tackle primarily protects the blind side of the quarterback, those players get paid a little bit more. Now, I'm not saying that that's why Orlando Brown wants to be only a left tackle, but I'm sure it doesn't hurt. So we'll have to see how that goes Um it would take a lot, I think, for the Ravens to deal Orlando Brown. I don't think that he would sit out. I don't know how strained and, and what the tensions are in that relationship. I'm not sure what happened if they said, listen, you know, we're going to play you next year at this position. How do you feel about that? And, you know, he obviously didn't take that news well or how everything went down. But Ian Rappaport is reporting that he is wanting to be traded and I'm sure that it would take a, a very good deal from somebody for the Ravens to 
open up that line of communication and, and listen to potential offers for him. So in regulators news, though, um, congratulations to at mboat6. Um, her Twitter handle is we just met. She is part of Bill's Mafia, and she won herself a Josh Allen jersey this past week. So that was part of our Super Bowl giveaway. If you guys have been following the show and following us on Twitter and what we do, then you know that we've given away Josh Allen jerseys, Tyreek Hill, TJ Watt, um, Mike Gesicki, and Tua, and all, all kinds of jerseys and pop figures and cash and all different things that we've given away through the show. And that's just our way of saying thank you. We really, really appreciate everybody who listens to our show and we definitely appreciate all the uh, messages that we get and the comments on social media i mean it it blows my mind that there are 450 cities around the world in 18 countries that are listening to this show and i am just a happy person to be part of your week every week i i love doing this and whenever possible i try to get back to you guys i try to give something back you know um and I try to, you know, help out where I can. So I'm happy to continue giving away all kinds of things whenever I'm able to. And I appreciate the sponsors that we've had this far that have helped us with some of those things as well. So this week is going to be the end of our 2020 season coverage, but we are not going anywhere. So next week, we will have a clean slate. And it will officially start our next season, and we will start looking towards 2021. We'll have a huge breakdown of all 32 teams. I'm going to tell you all the things that I like, what I don't like, and uh, some things to focus on going into the new season. So it doesn't matter what your NFL team is, we're going to have something for you in next week's episode. Uh, remember to check out our website, regulatorspod.com. That is up now, and we have articles that are going to be flowing through there as well as um, some links that we're getting together for some great charities that we support and some things you guys can check out. There's lots of good stuff that we're going to have on the website. And remember always to follow us on Twitter. I mean, that's that's our mainstay, at regulatorspod on Twitter. That's where you'll see the giveaways, especially if you turn notifications on. You'll be first to be alerted about any giveaway we have. Um, and we love to talk football, so come by anytime. Say hi, introduce yourself. And um, if you like this show, if you could just share it with one person, that's huge for us. Just one person that you know loves the NFL or loves the Bears or the Broncos or the Cowboys or the Giants or whoever you root for, just share this show. Send them a link and say, hey, check these guys out. They do some good shit. If you don't like the show, don't tell anybody about it. It'll be our little secret. But I hope you do. I hope you enjoy what we're doing. A um, couple of listener shout-outs this week to some areas that showed up on our uh, analytics. Compton, California, Abbotsford, British Columbia, Orpington, England, and Mehignac, France. So thank you for listening. Uh, we appreciate all of you all around the world, and uh, we see you regulators. So keep grinding. Let's have a great week. Don't take any shit from anyone, and when you wake up each morning, remember who you are and answer that call. Let's get this back, fam. We out.